Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Good morning. My name is Dave, and I'm happy to be a sexaholic. My sobriety date is November 23rd, 1990. Um, You heard the problem. That was me. I did everything, or maybe I didn't do it yet, that was in the problem, and more. Um, I love the readings that we have from the book, um, the purpose. We are together for one purpose and one purpose only because we're sexaholics and we want to stay sober and help others achieve sexual sobriety. We're not just a group of people who want to share or get together. And I am so glad that for many, many, many years people got together for the purpose of staying sober and helping me stay sober also. My story is like many. I was sexually abused. My family had secrets. Uh, My parents and grandparents did the very best job they could with the toolbox they had, but they had a broken toolbox. And I entered life with a broken toolbox And I thought that uh, everybody else was supposed to fix all of my things and discovered that most of my issues that I have ended up with were my decisions. I made bad decisions. I made wrong decisions. I made um, unknowing decisions, or I didn't make decisions, which was making decisions. Uh, Not to decide is to decide. And it brought me to the point of wanting to die, asking God to kill me, but he wouldn't kill me. It brought me to the point of divorce, of living 800 miles away from my kids. Uh, I had a job, I had a car with air conditioning, I had a key to the church so I could work, 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 and try and work the hell out of my life, and I couldn't work the hell out. I was there every time the church was open trying to meet God, and I just could not. Uh, Finally, I went to a therapist who gave me a book about sexaholics or about sexual addiction, 
told me about a meeting, um, or that there were meetings, and I went on the phone and found the SA meeting in Oklahoma City, 113 miles from my house. It was a Friday night, and of course I had to act out before I went to the meeting. And I was going to the meeting because my, my life was hopeless, and I was already, I had given up sex with other men because I'd had a terrible experience about a month before. So the only reason I was going was because I was masturbating all the time and thinking about sex, and I wanted to stop that. I got to that meeting. There was an older woman there with seven years of sobriety, but she was a woman. She was married. I mean, what did, what did she know? And there was a man with five years of sobriety, but he was married and he was old. What did he know? But there was a young man with eight weeks or nine weeks of sobriety. He was not married, and he was sober for nine weeks. Wow. That's what I wanted. I grabbed hold of whatever was there at that meeting, and I drove home 113 miles, and I didn't act out in in my car going 70 miles an hour. I didn't act out when I got home to go to sleep. The next meeting was Saturday morning at 9.30. I set my alarm. I got up. I stepped in the shower and uh, held my hands up in the air and went around in a circle and got out, and I drove to the meeting and made it sober. That was an absolute miracle. I could never have done that before without just holding on, holding on, holding on, and wow. The next meeting was a Tuesday night. I had to stay in a hotel Monday night for work. And when I got to the hotel, I got my uh, suitcase and my pair of shoes, and I walked in and registered and went into my room and closed the door. I didn't go back out to my car looking for my other shoe, looking for a pencil. I didn't have to walk out and leave my door open. And I made it to the Tuesday meeting sober. The obsession of lust, that constant, constant thinking every minute was gone, and I was sober. That was a flat-out miracle. It happened only because of this program, only because some young man with nine weeks of sobriety had turned his life over to the care of a power that I didn't understand, but a power that worked. One year later, 30,000 miles later, I received my one-year chip. I don't know how it happened. I still don't know how it happened. I now have 28 years of sobriety and recovery. And I don't know why. 
except I keep doing today what I did yesterday, and I figure I'll be sober tomorrow. Uh, I have been in the program for many, many years. I have gone to conventions, retreats, workshops, meetings, 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 meetings. And I have learned sayings. I've learned little tips on helping. I've learned um, uh, to see recovery in other people. But everything I needed to know about being sober and being in recovery, I learned in my first month in SA. Go to meetings, don't act out, get a sponsor, read the literature, carry the literature to meetings because that's my protection, that's my armor, that's my uniform. Make phone calls, pray to whatever I'm praying to. Don't act out, get a sponsor, go to meetings. I learned that in the first month. All the rest is just practicing those principles one day at a time. The AA Big Book says we couldn't do for a lifetime what we can do for one day. I couldn't stop acting out for a lifetime, but I could stop acting out for one day and then another day. And of course, then I found out, oh, you mean I have anger? No, our family doesn't have anger. We don't get angry. We just get quiet. Oh, you mean I have resentments? No, I, re- I have a right to be angry at those people or those institutions or whatever. I mean, it's my right. Hmm. I found out I had all these character defects. I was looking at life so <sighs> through such cloudy glasses. And I found out that I, if I wanted recovery, I needed to do the steps. Step one, write it out with the help of a sponsor. Write all of my garbage and make sure I put amounts of money, amounts of time, amounts of whatever. And then at a meeting with my sponsor and others, I gave that step away. And when I gave that away, I was, in theory, done with it. When I have people do a first step, I have them print it out on paper, and when they're done reading it, I said, I say, is this what you're done with, what you want to give away? And they say, yes, and I say, give it to me, and I tear it up. It's finished. I don't have to carry it around anymore. 
oh, I know I did that stuff, and there's going to be stuff I have to make restitution for. There's going to be stuff that is ingrained in my mind that I'm going to have to retrain my mind. There are muscle memories that I have, but I don't have to carry it around in a backpack with me. I'm done with it. Harvey says, the difference between sobriety and recovery is the difference between chicken shit and chicken salad. Step one is chicken shit. I give that away. I stop playing in it. And now my hands are empty and I'm ready to accept the banquet that my higher power has for me. And I have a loving higher power. Not a black and white higher power that's looking to catch me, but a loving higher power. I know that because every time I go to a meeting and I say, well, I messed up with this or I messed up with that, and people say, thanks for sharing. And at the end, they give me a hug. At my first step, people said, thanks for sharing, and they gave me a hug. They didn't go, ooh, yuck. In Madrid last year, I, or this last month, I heard uh, somebody say, I had sex outside my species. I had sex outside my species. And when I say that at a meeting, nobody goes, would you please leave? They give me a hug. They're God with skin on. They are sharing a loving presence with me that I had not found any place else. I can say anything and people say thanks for sharing, unless it's profanity or something like that. Uh, after my first year, I knew it all, and I went to a convention. Of, I wish they'd ask me to speak. After my second year, I didn't know quite as much, and after my third year, I thought, "Oh, boy, I sure couldn't. I sure couldn't give a story like that person's." Um, and it takes other people looking at me and saying, "You know, I see growth in you." Because I don't necessarily see the growth. I love recovery. I love this program. But it doesn't happen without action, action, action. I believe that my disease cannot read my mind. My disease has to see actions. And so if I get some kind of... Uh, uh, activity going in my mind, I have to say, stop it. I can't just shake, you know, I can't just in my mind start to pray. My disease does not see that. I have to say it out loud. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things. I have to hold my hand up uh, if I'm in a restaurant and see something too explicit, uh, just like we do in the meetings. Somebody across the room may wave at me, and that's okay. Or I have to get up and move my chair to the other side of the table so I'm not looking at something. 
I have to stomp my foot, roll my window down in the car, and say, get out. I have to do actions. And those actions of working the steps, not reading about the steps, not knowledge of the steps, not talking about them, not having a step study, but working the steps with my sponsor. In order, of course, step 10, I worked every day, but in order, that's when stuff starts to happen. That's when the banquet starts to come, when my hands start to fill up with wonderful stuff. Uh, and as I worked step one, gave it away, let go of that. I don't carry that stuff in my backpack. Then I cleaned house. Oh, I had to find a power. I quickly found some kind of power I didn't understand at the program, at the meetings, and uh, that was enough. It worked. When I did my third step, and you know, we do our steps quickly, and then we do them lots of different ways. We, you know, just picking up the the uh, the computer and looking for a meeting is saying, oh, I got a problem. Um, going to a meeting says, oh, I got a problem and I'm going to, there's something here that can help me. Um, we do them that way and then we do them in writing and we do them the hard way or the complete way. And then we do them again. In our, but on my third step, when I finally got ready to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, I didn't say to be a, a slave or a puppet, over to the care of God. And my higher power said, oh, thank you, honey. He calls me honey. He says, thank you, honey. He says, you know, on that day when you, a, a few days ago, you gave me three choices and you said those were your only three choices and you wanted this one and I gave it to you and it didn't work out that well. He says, on that day when you gave me three choices, I had 672 choices for you and you picked the bottom three. Wow, my higher power knows me much better than I know me. I don't have a bucket list anymore. I let my higher power arrange my life. I went to the retreat in Madrid, this lab, I mean the international convention in Madrid in January. Ah. Uh, I think 24 countries represented. Wow. All of Greece, every sexaholic in Greece was there. Because Sexaholics Anonymous in Greece has three members, and they were all three there. Uh, anyway, I went to the convention, and then I had been asked to go up to Barcelona for a few days. And uh, while I was up there, they wanted to have a, a workshop, so I did a workshop in Barcelona. 
And I had set that up ahead of time because I had time and they, they wanted it. And then I thought, well, rather than coming straight home, I've got a friend that I met in the program last year and he'd come to my house. And so I thought, you know, he'd invited me to come to his house. So, I thought, you know, I could go to Ireland and visit him. So I looked at an airline price and, and a plane ticket to Ireland from Barcelona was going to be $23. Yeah, $23. If I only took luggage that would go under the seat. I chose the expensive package of $78 so I could ship a bag and have a bag up overhead. Anyway, I planned on going to see him for just a week or two. And he decided that he talked to their inner group and they were going to have a workshop there. Well, it ended up that um, I didn't know how what else was going to happen. So I um, I thought maybe I could visit Iceland on my way home. I've never been there. But it would probably cost me $1,500 by the time I got a tour of Iceland and everything. And I just, I haven't, but I'm not sure I want to spend it for that. And so I just waited. And a couple other places in Ireland wanted me to come do a workshop. And then a couple others. And I ended up spending three weeks in Ireland. Three weeks going to people's homes and staying in their homes, having people pick me up at the train station, at the bus station. When I arrived in Ireland the first time, the bus station is right across from the airport, and I was going to take a bus over to Galway. The bus station's right across from the airport, but one of the members from Dublin came out to the airport, met me, had coffee with me, helped me with my luggage to get across the street to the bus station to get on the right bus. Wow. I went to every group in Ireland. Ireland is the size of the state of Indiana and I traveled 2,600 miles by car, train, and bus to every group in Ireland. I didn't plan that ahead of time. God arranged that. Good, orderly direction, a loving higher power. And then people found out that I still had a little time and I was still in the country, so Madrid wanted to have a workshop. I flew back to Madrid. Oh, by the way, Madrid paid my airfare back. Ireland paid my airfare to Ireland. After I did the workshops, they decided, gee, we, we need to cover your airfare and all the train tickets and all of the bus tickets. Well, from Madrid... Slovenia wanted me to come do a workshop. They've got a brand new fellowship. But, you know, it's difficult to fly into Slovenia because uh, Ljubljana, uh, the capital, only has two gates in their airport. And um, 
the best way is to fly to Istanbul and back. And they said, oh, instead of that, why don't you, we'll, we'll pay for your ticket to fly to Venice and we'll send a car to pick you up in Venice. Whoa, does that sound cool? Two people picked me up at the airport in Venice. We drove through northern Italy and around the, the, the sea there and to Slovenia. And I spent a week in Slovenia. I met a loner in Slovenia. He's a monk in a monastery where they make wine and, and uh, pear brandy. And, and he's taken a vow of silence, but he's allowed to have a visitor if his prior says. Because of the vow of silence, he has no electronic anything. He can write letters. Now, here's a sexaholic with... Trying to stay connected with the fellowship with letter writing, snail mail, remember that? I got to spend three hours with this man, and he showed me the monastery, the inside parts that the tourists never, ever get to see. And then another member drove me up into the, the Austrian mountains and we're driving along and he says, oops, we got to turn around. We just went into Italy again. Uh, this is from recovery because I get to share the message. I love this program so much and what's happening in my life that I want to share it. I want to give it away, and I cannot give enough away. I keep getting more back. But it started with going to that first meeting, and then the next meeting. It started with when I got home from my second meeting, I covered the mirror in my bedroom. I don't need to look at myself. I started wearing sleepwear. I used a washcloth for the shower so that I was not touching myself. I got rid of all colognes and lotions and everything. And I went to meetings when, oh, there's a threat of rain. Oh, there's going to be wind. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's work. It's simple. But it's not easy. Simple, just don't act out. Just don't act out. Just go to meetings, call your sponsor, get on the phone, follow the sayings. Right actions bring about right thinking. Right thinking doesn't bring about right actions. In case you haven't noticed, I am so happy that I'm a sexaholic. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it has been my entrance into an amazing life. 
I have a calendar that I, somebody sent around, and it's a calendar of a dog's life. And every day says, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> Jeez, I've changed that to Dave's calendar. This is the best day of my life. Thank you for letting me share.